Good afternoon. Time is one o'clock, and that means we've got a half an hour of Farm Talk coming your way. And here now is your host for Farm Talk, Virginia Tech Agricultural Extension Agent, Phil Blevins. Well, it's good to be with you again today. It's good to see you back, Ivy, after your time away from this program. Uh, one couple of things I wanted to mention today, one of those uh, being in regard to the dry weather situation that we have right now, there is a burn ban in place in Washington County right now. And in the interest of our forests and trees, uh, we would encourage everyone to cooperate with that. Hopefully we'll get some rain this weekend and maybe help with that issue. But uh, just wanted to make everyone aware of that. Uh, again, I'd like to mention if you have ideas or subjects that you that are within my bailiwick that I could talk about, if you could submit those to the radio station here or to me at pblevins at vt.edu, I would certainly appreciate that. I don't know much about anything, but I know something about a lot of things. And so if you would be willing to submit that, that would suit me. Otherwise, we're going to talk about things that I want to talk about, and hopefully they'll be of interest to you. If you have questions, uh, please uh, call those in or submit those to me. I appreciate the folks here at WEHC for for allowing me the opportunity to do this. I mentioned last week on our show that we would be talking about some about meat uh, because that's our big industry in Washington County is beef cattle, and that's what we'll mostly be focusing on. And I realize, realize that everyone out there may not be an e a meat eater, but it certainly is an important part of our economy. And so probably take a couple of programs talking about this. This first one we'll spend mostly on some things that are involved in the beef and the meat industry, and then we get in next week into some of those things that those that eat meat would be interested in, like where do these cuts come from and how do you cook these cuts and things like that uh, to make them the most flavorful. And so, you know, I said we would spend uh, most of our discussion on beef cattle. There are a lot of meat producers in the world. You know, we have poultry. Virginia is one of the largest poultry-producing states in the nation with broilers and turkeys uh, being the, one of the largest industries in the state in agriculture in Virginia. But we also have those sheep producers and goat producers and, and then those of you that hunt wild game. Certainly that's part of it. But we're going to spend most of our time in this discussion focusing on beef, which gives us an idea of some of the things we want to talk about. You know, there are some myths out there about uh, beef production, and maybe we'll address some of that just a little bit in this program. Uh, but it is a very efficient animal. Uh, you know, for example, if, uh, if we use 1955 technology, if uh, a lot of people want to go back in history and live like we used to, and there's certainly some desirable things about the way it used to be, but... If we use 1955 technology to produce the amount of beef that we raise today, it would take 165 million more acres of land to be able to do that. If you compare our production methods today to 1955, and that's about the size of the state of Texas. Uh, so we can thank uh, those researchers and scientists and beef producers that have made it possible to be that much more efficient. If you compared the uh, pig of today, uh, if you compared the pig of today to the pig in, 19, in the 1950s, today pork is about 75% leaner uh, than it was in the 1950s. So there have been a lot of uh, production changes that have happened over the years that have been very beneficial not only for the animal but also for the public and the consumer. 
And then there's a, there's a concept of how uh, cattle are raised, and we'll talk some about this, about going through this. But, you know, I've heard people say that most cattle are fed in crowded barns under roofs, and that's really not the case at all. Most of the cattle in the United States are fed in open-air feedlots where they're very comfortable, very spread out, where they're not crowded together. And that's just not correct when people have that conception of it. If you and, and not only that, but those lots are managed to be very environmentally friendly where they're not polluting the environment or creating issues along that line. But if we think about uh, getting down to it about the meat, you know, beef is the number three food source for iron in the American diet, and that's following iron-enriched breads and cereals. One of the things about beef and meat in general is it's a very nutrient-dense food. Uh, and But if we think about the iron that's in red meat, is it is more completely absorbed by the body than the iron that's found in bread or cereal and other plant products. And there's, uh, uh, if you think about that in terms of iron deficiency, iron deficiency is the most common nutritional deficiency worldwide. You know, we've got it made in the United States. You know, most people are more worried about losing weight than they are having something to eat the next time and we have access to these things but beef is one of those things that could address uh, that problem around the world it provides the most readily available and easily absorbed source of iron of the foods and in fact you could take one three ounce serving of beef and it would supply 51 percent of the daily value for protein uh, 39 percent of the daily value for zinc and 14% of the daily value for iron. And something else that goes along with that is there's something called the meat factor. And there's two factors that increase the absorption of iron from plant foods. So we think about those breads and grains. There are two things that really increase the absorption of iron from those those, uh, sources of iron, and that's meat and vitamin C that can actually help with absorption. And meat consumption during a meal has been shown to increase the absorption of plant iron two to fourfold. And so that's what we refer to. This enhancing effect is what we refer to as the meat factor. So another question that comes up that I get asked about and that we hear about on the news occasionally is uh, hormones. You know, I heard someone say one time that they were selling uh, animals that were hormone-free. I don't know how you do that unless their animals were made out of rock because everything that's alive has hormones in it. And so we hear a lot of talk about that. And I thought I'd mention this. You know, we hear things about implants and how dangerous they are. And so you can measure estrogenic activity in common foods. In any food that we eat, we can measure that. And I suppose if you ask the public, they would think that beef would be at the top of that list. But let me give you some examples. Um, Those of you that might eat things that have soy flour in them. Uh, soy flour, when it's defatted, has 755 million nanograms per 500 grams of soy flour of estrogenic activity. That's 755 million. Uh, Tofu, which I've never had, but I know some people eat, uh, but it has over 113 million nanograms per 500 grams of tofu. Well, let's get down to something that we probably all like, and that's pinto beans. 900,000 nanograms of estrogenic activity per 500 grams. And 500 grams is about a pound. 
And then peanuts, 100,000 nanograms per 500 grams of peanuts. Eggs, 550 nanograms per 500 grams of peanuts. Butter, 310 nanograms per 500 grams. And milk, 32 nanograms per 500 grams. Now, if we compare that to beef from an implanted steer, one that's had an estrogenic implant used, 7 nanograms of estrogenic activity per 500 grams of, of meat. And from a non-implanted steer, it drops to 5 nanograms. So it's really not what it's been portrayed to be. And if you just think about in terms of normal production in humans, a pregnant woman produces about 19 million, uh, 600,000 nanograms per day. Uh, pre-pubertal, pre-pubertal children produce 41,000 nanograms per day. And then you count, you compare that to what we just said, and over a pound of beef, there's only seven nanograms in it. And so, you know, I know it's a philosophical question whether people uh, want to take that approach to it or not, and that's, uh, that's a good thing about living in America. We get to do what we want to do, but just to try to put that in perspective. Another thing that's important about it and we'll talk just a little bit about this, and that's the fat that's associated. People are worried about fat. If you take uh, in the lean part of beef, there's less than 10 grams of total fat, and that's 4.5 grams or less of saturated fat and less than 95 milligrams of cholesterol per serving. And so you take a three-ounce serving of lean beef, that's 154 calories, or I'm sorry, yeah, 154 calories, and it contributes less than 10% of the calories to a 200-calorie diet. Yet it supplies more than 10% of the daily value for protein, selenium, B12, zinc, niacin, B6, phosphorus, uh, choline, iron, and riboflavin. And when we talk about lean cuts, and we'll talk more about this later on in this discussion that we have about beef, and that is those lean cuts, we would consider those as being sirloin steak, is considered a lean cut. Tenderloin steak, you know, that's one that's a little bit on the pricey side. Those of you that like filet mignon, that comes from the tenderloin muscle in uh, beef cattle. And so it is, it's considered a lean cut. Top loin steak, those of you that like New York strips, uh, that's a very lean cut, as well as T-bone steak and top round steak. And so those are the ones that we would really consider being the popular lean cuts, there are others that we could include in that group. Okay, so what about this? Are, are all beef cattle grass-fed? You know, that seems to be a debate sometimes in the public of grass-fed versus grain-fed. Well, virtually all cattle spend a majority of their lives eating grass. Uh, you know, the cattle that we raise in southwest Virginia and Washington County and the other counties North Carolina, Tennessee, that may be reached by this program, those cattle spend their lives on grass. Uh, there are very, very few cattle that you, well, there are no cattle in this area that you can find that aren't on grass the majority of their lives, from the time that they're a baby when they're born uh, to the time that they leave here as feeder cattle, you know, in the range of uh, five to 800 pounds. Uh, those cattle are going to be on grass, and a lot of those are go on to, going to go on to somewhere else to spend a little more time on grass. And then maybe the last 120 to 150 days of their life, they would be on a different feed regime, such as a high-grain diet. Uh, 
other thing, all beef is grass-fed, so all beef is also natural. You know, here you hear people talk about natural, and people will label things as natural. Well, there are official definitions from USDA for some of these things, but beef is a natural product. Uh, most beef does not contain any additives and is not more than minimally processed. If you go to the store and buy a hamburger, that's just beef that's been ground up in the hamburger. It's nothing added to it unless you go to the grocery store and they've marinated a steak or something like that. Or if you buy a sausage, obviously if you buy a sausage or some cooked product, then there's going to be things that are added to that. All beef is nutritious. It's certainly a powerful protein, and it's safe. You know, that's one thing people need to understand, that vigilance on farms and rigorous safety inspections that we'll talk more about a little bit later and strict government guidelines ensure the highest level of safety uh, for the food that we eat. That's one of the amazing things about the United States. We have such a great system in place to provide safe, nutritious food to the to the consumer. Uh, it's the envy of the world. Uh, it seems that we don't appreciate that as much as we should sometimes, but nonetheless, it is the envy of the world. So, you know, is there a difference when we think about grain finish, those cattle that go to, to uh, feed lot the last four to five months of their life versus those that are finished on grass? Well, there are some differences. And if we think about grain finished advantages, you know, it's and this is not a, a slam against grass fed because there's room for everybody in the industry, but consumers prefer the taste of grain finished beef. There's no question about that. I grew up eating grass-finished beef, but we canned it and did things like that, uh, which helped a little bit. But uh, the, there was a study done at Texas A&M just a few years ago that I want to deal with. It gives us some insight into the health benefits of that. But before we do that, we're going to take a break right here. And, Ivy, I'll turn it back over to you. You are tuned to Farm Talk with Phil Blevins, and if you have any questions for Phil, you can email him at pblevins at vt.edu, or you can call the radio station at 276-944-6933. He'd be happy to answer your questions and also entertain any ideas for future shows. And you are tuned to... Excuse me, W-E-H-C Emory and W-I-S-E F-M Wise. We are in the midst of our fall fun drive, giving thanks to the radio station, and we thank you for dialing our way if you enjoy our programming and like knowing what we do to help young folks who are getting into the exciting world of broadcast please consider a financial donation to the radio station. You can do that easily by going to W-E-H-C F-M Dot com and clicking on the big red donate button. You can also give us a call here or just drop a check in the mail. P.O. Box 947, Emory, Virginia, 24327. Any amount that you can send our way, however big, however small, it all adds up and we will surely thank you for it. And Phil, now back to you. All right. Thank you, Ivy. Thank you again to WEHC for the opportunity to be on the program today. I mentioned that I want to talk about a little study or kind of a big study that was done at Texas A&M a few years ago. 
And it was comparing the health benefits of cattle that are high in marbling. And if you don't know what marbling is, that's those flecks of fat that you see within the muscle uh, of, a, of a ribeye steak or a T-bone steak. Uh, and those, they have, uh, that's certainly important when it comes to the eating quality of meat. But they did a study comparing cattle that are high in marbling and those that aren't fed to uh, the USDA grades of prime and choice. And what they found is that cattle that are high in marbling, that that meat is, uh, or that fat, is low in saturated and trans fats and higher in monounsaturated fats. Now, that's uh, those of you that focus on your diet a whole lot are familiar with that terminology. Those of, it just, of us that just eat don't think a whole lot about it, but some people are focused on that because of concerns that they have about their health, and they should be concerned about their health, obviously. Uh, but they found that there were certain grain-finished advantages, cattle that were grain-finished rather than grass-finished. And again, that's not a slam on grass-finished beef. There's plenty of room in the industry for that. And there are people that prefer that, and I say go for it. If you can sell that and if you like that, then that's what you ought to get. But what uh, Dr. Stephen Smith said at Texas A&M was, he said, we did see many positive effects for the men who consumed the corn-fed beef. And what they did was they fed these people, it was hamburger that they fed the people that participated in this study. Uh, the ground beef from the USDA prime cattle increased the HDL cholesterol, and the LDL particle diameter. And so both of these effects are pr protective against cardiovascular disease. Uh, the prime ground beef also increased insulin. Uh, so it may have some protective effect against type 2 diabetes. And so uh, it, the study also showed that the longer cattle were fed grain, a grain-based diet, the healthier the product will be. Now that's contrary to what we hear uh, in the public sometimes, but this was done in a, in a research project. And so, you know, it gives us some, at least it gives us some comfort that if we like grain-fed beef, that we're not killing ourselves every time we eat a choice steak or a prime steak. And so we'll talk more about what those grains, those uh, grades mean later on. So if we think about uh, meat cuts, so let's get out of the, you know, the area I've been talking about and get down to it about meat. You know, there's a term we might hear called blue ribbon meat. Well, that makes it sound good, doesn't it? And that's what it's meant to do. Uh, blue ribbon meat is a product that, if it's prepared properly, delivers a high-quality eating experience. Now, we've all had a piece of meat in our life that wasn't the best. It was either too tough or something was wrong that we didn't like about it. Um, and we can take the best cut of meat in the world and ruin it if we don't prepare it properly. And so this is a product that, if it's prepared properly, delivers a high-quality eating experience. And so this meat should have adequate marbling and external fat to maintain juiciness and flavor. See, that's one of the things about really lean cuts of meat, that you've got to be careful how you cook them so that you don't dry them out too much. Uh, and it should have the appropriate color. You know, when you go to the store, you look in the, in the meat case, if you're a meat eater and you see chicken, you see beef, you see pork, maybe see lamb. Some stores still sell lamb. And uh, the appropriate color for those different types of meat, we'd describe them this way. If you were grader, if you were a grader grading a carcass, 
and you were looking at a beef carcass, you would be looking for bright cherry red color in the muscle. That's ideal. Is bright cherry red. Now, pork has a pink look to it. If it's if it's really high quality, that doesn't mean if it's not perfect pink that it's not quality. But pink is the color we're looking for. And lamb is actually dark cherry red. And it should be firm and fine textured. You know, animals are like anything. There are variations in animals in terms of, of uh, the muscle fiber and things like that. And so all these things are what we're looking for in blue ribbon meat. And so when you go to Ruth's Chris, which I've never had the opportunity to eat at, and you pay what you pay for a steak there, it better be a blue ribbon experience. So that's what these people are looking for. And so, you know, if you think about an animal, you know, all of an animal doesn't end up on the plate. That's obvious. We don't eat the hide. We don't eat the insides of the animal. We don't eat the bones. And if you were to, for example, if you were to process a beef animal that weighed 1,200 pounds, that's a big animal. So how much of that would end up at a retail sale? Well, the carcass weight is going to be about 60% of the live weight. So we're already down to 720 pounds. Uh, the retail yield out of that will be about 540 pounds. And so... You know, the difference in that, you're talking about 660 pounds difference in live weight and actual retail yield. Now, those of you out there that buy live an- that buy animals, you may have a neighbor uh, or you may be a farmer that are selling uh, animals that are ready to process. Uh, those that are buying and those that are selling need to understand that when you're selling a 1,200-pound animal, you know, how much of that's going to end up in meat because sometimes people that have never been acquainted with doing this they buy a 1200 pound animal and they get home with 500 pounds of meat and they think somebody cheated me well not really because there's lots of things that are lost between the time it's alive and when it ends ends up on the plate now the good thing about it is that other stuff's not just waste uh, because all those things can be used as a matter of fact one of the big export markets or, or the per- one of the big things about the export market in beef cattle over the years is there are a lot of customers in foreign countries that really like some of the things we don't like or that not many people like, you know, like uh, parts of the intestine. Uh, there are countries that really like that, and it sells for a high price there. Or the tongue. Uh, you know, there are people, and people in this area still eat it some, but there's not a high demand for that. And so even the hide, we all know that leather's important. Uh, there's really nothing that's wasted. If you've ever read about the packing industry in Chicago back in the early 1900s. Uh, there was a saying up there regarding pigs that they uh, they sold everything but the squeal. And that's just about the, absolutely the truth. Now, if we look at a pork or at a pig, uh, the carcass weight's about 70% of the live weight. And in the industry, pigs are processed around 270 pounds. And so you get a carcass that weighs 189 pounds, and you'd end up with 140 pounds of retail yield out of that. Lamb's probably the worst. About 50% of the live weight's carcass weight, and so a 120-pound lamb's going to have a 60-pound carcass and yield about 40 pounds of retail yield. So just to give you an idea of that, and one of the reasons I wanted to bring that up is those – I know there are people in the area that sell freezer beef, for example, to – their neighbors, and the neighbors and them need to understand that everything that's standing there is not going to end up in the freezer when you get done. So, 
You know, I mentioned earlier that our food system is really safe. And uh, when animals are processed, you know, inspection is a big deal. Uh, And inspection, federal inspection or state inspection, is about safety. It's about food safety. And meat from all animals that is sold to the public is subject to mandatory inspection by the state or federal inspectors. And they do both a live inspection to see if the animals are healthy. If the animal's not healthy, then it doesn't go through the system. Or, and they do a post-mortem inspection to look at the meat to see if, uh, if it looks like there's any defects or anything that should be discarded or if the whole carcass should be discarded. When I was in college at the University of Tennessee, I worked in the meats lab, and we had an inspector that was there when we were processing animals. And if he saw something on the carcass that he didn't like, it came out, and it was thrown in what's called the offal uh, to be sent somewhere maybe to be processed for meat meal or something of that nature for uh, non-human consumption. And it might be the whole shoulder of a carcass or something that he would see where there was a bruise in it, where the animal had been bruised. And so we can really have confidence that that what we're getting is, is safe. And there will be an inspection stamp uh, on those on that meat when it goes to a retailer or to a restaurant or whatever to be used. Now, we think about grading. There's, you have inspection, you have federal inspectors, and then you have graders. Now, graders and grading is about red meat yield and about our eating experience associated with that. And we're familiar with those things that we see. We hear talk about, for example, a USDA choice, a USDA prime. Uh, we hear those terms thrown around and maybe don't understand what they mean. But those are actually an evaluation and a classification based on what the expected eating quality of that uh, meat is going to be. And this is all the inspection parts done by the Food Safety Inspection Service from the United States Department of Agriculture. And the USDA grades are also placed on there by the Department of Agriculture. And so uh, there are two types of grades. And we're probably not going to get through all this today, but we'll finish it next week. But there are two types of grades that you talk about when you're talking about grading animals. There's yield grade. And yield grade is actually an estimate of the closely closely trimmed retail cuts we get from an animal. And this is based on the carcass weight. Uh, It's a formula that they use based on carcass weight, the ribeye area, Uh, the back fat thickness, and then how much internal fat they have. And there are five yield grades in beef cattle, Uh, yield grade one through yield grade five, and then some sub uh, numbers among uh, in those individual grades. And a yield grade one is trimmer than a yield grade five. When you get down to a yield grade five, a lot of times they're very fat. Uh, A lot of trim has to come off of them before that product can go on the market. And so they're not desirable from a buyer's standpoint. Nothing wrong with the meat. But there's just a lot of loss there. Fat's not nearly as valuable as muscle is. And so as a consumer, you'll never see the fat that we're talking about because the butcher's going to trim it off. You'll you'll never see it, whether it's beef, pork, lamb, whatever it might happen to be. Uh, Now, grading, as I said, is conducted by the Department of Agriculture by the American Marketing Service. And so... Uh, Just to give you a preview, we'll get into some into where those cuts come from and how we can do the best job of cooking those cuts uh, to make them a pleasant eating experience next week. But 
those USDA grades that are quality grades are the prime choice select, et cetera, that we'll talk more about last week. You know, if you have questions about this, please, again, don't be, don't hesitate to let me know. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you today and look forward to being back next week. You have been listening to Farm Talk with Phil Blevins. Get together your questions about meat, the cuts, and the way that they should be cooked. Send them to WEHC at EHC.edu. Give us a call at the radio station, 276-944-6933. And Phil would love to hear from you as well. Let him know about ideas for shows, questions you may have. You can email him at pblevins at vt.edu. This is WEHC Emory and WISE FM Wise. And just a reminder, we are in our fall fun drive you enjoy our programming, show your support. Go to wehcfm.com and click on the donate button. You'll be glad you do, and we'll thank you for it.